right. Well, hey, good morning, guys. If you're uh, looking up here a little confused, no, I'm not Brian, who just shrunk or anything like that. Uh, my name's Chris. I'm a uh, teacher over at Western Christian High School, and so it's good to see a couple familiar faces in the audience. I, uh, Brian asked me to speak a, a couple months ago, and uh, he told me you guys are going to be going. Hey, uh, told me we were going to be going through Colossians, and I love the book of Colossians. Like, hasn't this series been like super good and helpful for you guys? I. Uh, Colossians, I, I think, is probably one of, if not my single favorite book of the entire New Testament, right? Like, it's just dripping with good, sound theology about who God is and who we are in Christ. And so I was super excited when Brian said that that's what we were going to be going through. But when I get to Colossians 3, verses 5 through 17, which is where we're going to be today, honestly, this passage is hard. Like, it's, it's really tough. You know, at least if we're going to take it seriously, um, I don't mean it's hard to understand. Like when you read it, you're not going to be confused. It's not hard to even preach necessarily. But the reality is like Colossians 3, 5 through 17 is is pretty hard to hear. Again, like I said, if we're going to take this passage seriously. You see, I don't... It can be easy to miss the bigger picture of what Paul is saying here because we go through this passage and if we're not careful, it kind of sounds like a a list of moral chores that we're either supposed to do or not supposed to do, right? He says, you know, put to death, dot, da, dot, da, dot, da, da, put them all away, you know, dit, da, dit, da, and then put on then, list, 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 list. And it can feel like it's, it's just nothing more than a list, but I think it's so important that we don't miss the overarching message of what Paul is communicating in, in all of Colossians 3 because, because the overarching picture is what he's saying here might be the most timely, most applicable word that we can hear as the church in our modern Western society. Like the reality is that what Paul is speaking about this morning is, is something that needs to be said to the church in America. The passage isn't, that we're going through isn't merely about doing or not doing certain things for the sake of being like arbitrarily better. And I think generally speaking, we know this, like we come to these types of passages and we, we know that there's more to it than just a mere list. At the same time, this passage isn't some kind of pie in the sky, unrealistic ideal that Paul is writing to, as if what Paul is saying isn't actually something that is reasonable or something that should be expected of us in the 21st century to, to live out for us as the church to be marked by. And again, I think most of us would be fine with at least saying that. Like, I think we're okay with saying like, oh yeah, that makes sense. This is who we should be. But when the rubber meets the road, in a lot of ways, I I think we as the church have settled for less than what is being asked of us as the community of God. Because here's the thing, on one hand, even if you aren't familiar with the church, you would still likely to have the idea that the Bible says something along the lines of what we're about to read. But on the other hand, it would be a lot less likely that you've had people in your life who have modeled this well, who have shown you what it is to live out this passage in real life in today's world. Or if you are a Christian, if you are a part of the church, then what we hear from this text isn't gonna be something like blows our minds. Like, what? I had no idea. What? I'm not supposed to do that. I'm supposed to be like this. Like, that's, that's not what we're gonna get into today. But I'm still confident that there's something for every single one of us to walk away with, understanding that not only do we need to grow in certain areas, but there are pretty significant implications, not only for us, but also for our world if we choose not to. 
You see, the crux of today's text isn't an issue of knowledge. It's an issue of practice. For most of us, in our heads, we know what we should be. We know what we are called to do or, or called not to do. It's just a matter of actually living this stuff out or, or, or at least more fully living this stuff out. It's about being who, as a result of Jesus, we already are. And so to start, in verse five of Colossians three, Paul says this. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. Okay, we'll stop right there for now, okay? Now, whenever you, you, uh, you come across a therefore in scripture, you always back it up in order to understand the context, understand what's going on, right? And so in light of last week's passage, in light of the first couple verses of Colossians 3, and it, 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 it makes it clear that we are to live our lives in light of the reality that we have been raised with Christ. And so in light of this truth, in light of the fact that if you are a Christian, if you've repented of your sin and put your faith in Jesus, that you are, you have been raised with Christ, we are called to put to death what is earthly in us. Specifically in this instance, we are called to put to death the ways in which we use our body that are in alignment with the world rather than in alignment with God's kingdom. And just think about it like this. This passage is just as applicable to us and to our culture and our society today as it was to the culture that Paul was writing to 2,000 years ago or so. Tim Keller, a pastor over in New York, he says this about the early church that Paul was writing to. He says the early church was strikingly different from the culture around it in this way. The pagan society was stingy with its money and promiscuous with its body. The pagan gave nobody their money and practically gave everybody their body. And the Christians came along and gave practically nobody their body and they gave practically everybody their money. What a cool reputation, right? Like, could you, could you imagine if the same were to be said about us by the onlooking world now? That'd be amazing, right? Like, what if people, when they thought about us, when they thought about Ignite City Church, what if they said, you know what, those Christians, man, they're, they're kind of weird, you know? They read this really old book. They believe some wild stuff. But man, they are so generous. They just, they just give away their money like it's not even theirs. You know, the, that Bible they read, I, I don't agree with what it says about sexuality. It has some pretty dated views about what it says I can and can't do with my body. But those Christians... That church, man, they, they're actually living out what the Bible says. And, and you know what? It's weird. Their lives don't seem to be missing a whole lot. They don't seem to be at a loss as a result of it. Can you imagine? Like, what if that was our reputation? What if that was how the world saw us? What if they saw our sexual ethic and not just the way we talked about it, but the way we, we lived out what we believe? And they saw from it that we were living for something or, or more accurately, we were living for someone who is far greater than anything that this world has to offer. Could you imagine the message that that would send to our current culture? Unfortunately, the reason why today's passage is hard for us to hear is because while we may have the reputation for gathering together, singing some songs, opening up our Bibles, 
and being willing to at least say, yep, that's right, Chris, that's right. Sexual immorality, impurity, evil desires, passion, all that stuff. No room for that in the Christian life. Amen, brother. Well, we're willing to say those things, the reputation of far too many Christians. And all too often, like if we're just being honest, all too often the evidence of our very own lives shows that we really don't take these words all that seriously. It's just the unfortunate reality that we live in, right? We don't take these words all that seriously. At least it's not the reputation that we have. At least not serious enough to actually put to death the things that are earthly in us. And look, this isn't just about like sinning or or rather not sinning for the sake of not sinning. This is about our identity. This is about who we are. If you follow Jesus, then again, you have been raised with Christ. Like sure, in, in one sense, according to 1 Corinthians 15, you will be raised with Christ when he returns. But in another sense, you already are. Romans 6 verse 4, you were, were, past tense, you were buried with Christ and raised to walk in newness of life. This is, this is true of the Christian now. At the same time, it isn't necessarily about putting these things to death in order that you'd be saved from your sin either. As if those who struggle in this area have reason to doubt their salvation or as if Jesus' work on the cross wasn't enough and you have to, you know, some way earn your, your God's grace by obedience or something along those lines. That's, that's not what I'm trying to communicate at all. But just to be clear, at the same time, like there, there's a difference between struggling with sin, battling with sin, and just sinning, you know? Like there's a difference about loving Jesus and, and hating the things that separate you from him and simply being content in the, with the reality of your sin and, and unconcerned about its effects in your life. There's a difference to be, to, 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 be, to be clear there. Now again, Jesus is willing and able to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, but the reality is that our testimony of, of the goodness And the grace of God before an onlooking world is tarnished because of our sin and our unwillingness to do war with it and put it to death. It's a, like, it, it is a fair question to ask why there is virtually no difference between the sexual practices of those who claim to follow Jesus and those who do not. See, and, and this is the view of so many outside of the church that we're just hypocrites that we just read the Bible, we don't actually live it. That there's no distinguishable difference between our practices and and theirs. For example, Ashley Madison is a website for married people who are looking for something on the side. And they conducted a survey and what they found was that the participants of this survey almost perfectly mirrored the demographics of our country as a whole. That's a problem. Because like, it's, it's wild to me that the majority of Americans identify as Christian, but it's even more wild to me that the same number of people who identified as Christian in the country identified as Christian on this survey, on a website that's only purpose is to help you find someone to cheat on your spouse with. Like the website's founder said that he expected those, the results. I mean, even the guy who created this thing was shocked by this. He said that, that he expected them to be further from the norm, meaning that even though a, a large number of Christians identify 
or a large number of Americans identify as Christian, he didn't expect the survey to show the same. But after seeing the results of the survey, he was willing to go as far as to say that religion can be crossed off of the list of the factors that may drive infidelity. How can that be the case? How is that even possible? Like, or, or, or take porn use. The statistics between Christian and non-Christian are nearly identical. One survey I saw, the percentage between Christian and non-Christian porn use was off by 1%. That's it. And while professing Christians are less likely to say, at least say that casual sex outside of marriage is either sometimes or always appropriate, the statistics fail to show that we have a track record of holding ourselves according to this standard. And now look, we could discuss the legitimacy of the title Christian being applied to some of these situations. Like if you're willing to call yourself a follower of Jesus while simultaneously having a subscription to a website where the only purpose of it is to help you find someone to cheat on your spouse with, then you and I can like hang out after the service and talk because we need to discuss who on earth the Jesus you claim to follow is because it's not the one that I read of in the gospels. But regardless, at, at one point or, or at, at the point, the point I'm trying to make is, is that we are at a moment in our society where to identify as a Christian does not hold much weight. It just doesn't. Rather than putting these things to death, our reputation, our witness, our testimony is seemingly being put to death by these things. But not only that, just as it says in verse six, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Like church, hear me. Sin is no joke. Sin is not something that we should just shrug off, take lightly. These surveys and statistics cannot just be something that we like chalk up as fake news or you know, we blur the lines because of our definitions or whatever. This has got to bring us to our knees. Like, I don't know about you, but I know that I, for one, when I, when I read this type of stuff, I don't take it even close to as seriously as I should. Like, let's, let's just be honest. When we're reading through the scriptures and we come across a line like this, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Do we really stop and consider what is being communicated? Just think about it for a second. Because of sexual immorality, because of impurity, because of misplaced passion, because of these things, the wrath of God is going to be poured out. And again, at the, at, even at the risk of being redundant, I wanna make sure that I'm very clear. If you've repented of your sin, you've put your faith in Jesus, if you have trusted in his work on the cross as the only means through which you are saved, then the wrath of God already has been poured out on Jesus on your behalf. You have been forgiven and God's wrath has been satisfied. And yet it was because of these things, because of this sin that, look, listen, to be completely upfront with you guys, I, had, I struggled with for the longest time in my, in my own life. Like, this isn't me like, oh, you should be better. This is me preaching to myself here as well. But it was because of these things that Jesus hung on the cross for me and for you, for us, for the church in the first place. 
And it's because of these things that the world not only still participates in, but, but promotes and makes much of and glorifies and, and worships that the wrath of God is coming. And so there should be, there's gotta be, there, there absolutely, there's no excuse for there not to be a distinguishable difference between how those who profess their faith in Christ approach these things compared to those who don't. There's gotta be a difference. Regardless of the awkwardness of the conversations, regardless to the pain of a potentially ended relationship, regardless to the jokes that are made at your expense because you went from a smartphone to a dumb phone or you got rid of your Netflix subscription or whatever it is, none of these things are nearly as important as your, as your victory over your sexual sin. None of them, not even close. Talking about this kind of stuff, Jesus went as far as to say that if your eye causes you to sin, that you should get rid of it. That if it's your hand that causes you to sin, you should cut it off. This is Jesus speaking. And now, I don't necessarily think he's promoting doing literal physical harm to yourself for the sake of holiness. I, I don't think that's what Jesus is, is promoting here. But let's apply it to ourselves. If your phone is causing you to sin, literally get rid of it. It is better for you to, to, to enter eternity without a cell phone than it is to, you know, lose your soul as a result of sin in your life. If your relationships are causing you to sin, literally cut them off. If your Hulu, your Netflix, your whatever subscription is causing you to sin, ditch it. Look, I, I, I long, like, like I, I can't express this enough. I long for the day when we as a body, when we as the church and Americans can speak these words as a thing of, our, speak about these things um, as a thing of our past. Like we could echo Paul's words in saying that in these we too once walked when we were living in them. But we have to put them to death in order to echo these words with any kind of integrity and better live in line with our true identity, which is risen with Christ. Additionally, it isn't just about what we do with our bodies, but the words we say with our mouths as well. If our identity as a community of believers is to accurately reflect Jesus's work in our lives, and it's not enough to merely practice a biblical sexual ethic if we don't also reflect Jesus in, in how we talk to and about each other. Starting back up in verse eight, here's how Paul continues. He says, now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jews, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, seethen, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And so regardless of our, our background, cultural, economic, whatever else it might be, as the church, we are called to be a community that is founded on Christ. And that should impact the way that we speak to one another as well. Paul tells us that just as the, the Colossian community needed to, to put to death its sexual sins, he calls them to put away sins that, relation, that relate to their relationships as well. And it's funny. I mean, it's probably not funny. It's, it's ironic, at least, that, that I've had conversations with people who are willing to write off the Bible as irrelevant, outdated, whatever. And yet here we are again, reading something that sure, like this was written almost 2000 years ago, but it pertains to us now as much as it ever did. 
Like if it is our hope to reflect and represent Jesus well, these are two areas where we as the church in America clearly need to change and, and grow just like the church in Colossae did. Like this applies to us. It's like Paul's in our email. Like this is, this is speaking directly to where we are in our modern times. Like I have believing friends and family members who will, who will go online and they'll like post a Bible verse or something they read from like a Christian author or whatever. And that's great. I'm all for that. But all I have to do is scroll a little bit further down their page or their feed or whatever it might be. You'll see the same person going off on some kind of wild tangent that looks like, it looks like literally the complete opposite of the fruit of the spirit. Like it's amazing how one tweet, one tweet can cram hate, misery, chaos, impatience, rudeness, badness, inaccuracy, hardness, and a lack of discipline all in 280 characters or less. It's amazing. And again, this, this isn't just about sinning or not sinning for the sake of not sinning or, or having some kind of like happy social media presence, whatever that means. It's about identity. It's about who we are in Christ. For the Christian, these sins are to be a thing of our past, not a thing of our present. And this isn't to say that God or Paul or anyone else is expecting any one of us to be perfect in this. In fact, James 3 says, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is the perfect man. Okay, and the, the point that's being made both by James here and by Paul isn't that the biblical expectation is that we, we like never sin in these areas, but rather that we see the damage that is done with the inconsistency of such actions in relation to our identity in Christ when we do. The overarching idea behind this, this series that, that you guys have been in going through the book of Colossians, the idea has been bearing fruit in every good work, right? And the reality is that, that everyone's life does bear fruit in some way, in some regard, everyone's life, Christian or not. The problem is that for far too long, trying to see the difference between the fruit of the church and the fruit of the world is like trying to see the difference between a zucchini and a cucumber. And, and those are vegetables. Okay, I'm aware of that, right? But you know what I mean, right? Like, the, are, are the lives we are living really all that distinguishable from the lives of our unbelieving neighbors? How we use our bodies how we use our words. If somebody were to be looking from the outside, could they really tell much of a difference? Is there a difference between how you go about your life, the way you act, the things you do, the things you say, that causes people to see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven? If not, then something's gotta change. And again, I'm, 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 I, I'm not just talking to you, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to myself here as well. Like in reading this passage and studying it over the past few weeks and, and going over this message, like I've, I've been convicted. Like the, with the way I use my words, am I, like if somebody were listening, if I had this microphone attached to me at all times, would there be evidence of the Holy Spirit dwelling within me? Would it be, would it be obvious that, that I've been renewed, that the old is gone and the new has come, that I've put off the old self and have put on the new? I don't know. And so how are we supposed to view these things? What's one way for us to like visualize what it looks like for us to get rid of these old ways and, and live the life that God calls us to? Okay, I've already kind of alluded to it, but here in this passage, Paul uses the imagery of clothing. Just like you'd put on a particular outfit or take off a particular outfit, Paul tells us that we're supposed to put on certain character traits and to take off others, right? And the image is fitting. Get, see it, get fit, fitting, see what I did there? But it's, but it's fitting for this overarching message of identity as well, right? 
Because our clothes, what you wear are a part of our identity. And I'm not trying to say that like you are what you wear as if, you know, me wearing Nikes, I mean, these are New Balances, but like if I were to wear Nikes, you know, makes me an athlete, just like me wearing New Balances means I'm gonna like mow the lawn later or something, right? Um, but it would still be a stretch to say that, that what you wear doesn't at least say something about you. You know, like imagine for a second if Brian came back next week and came up here and instead of rocking some, some pants, like a button-up shirt, having his wedding ring on, instead he, he shows up, he comes up here with the podium, he's like, hey, good morning, church. And he's rocking like hot pink yoga pants, a wife beater and a choker necklace, okay? And some of you are like, you know what, I'm gonna do my best to not imagine that and that's probably wise. <laughs> but here's the point I'm trying to make. Even though what we wear doesn't make us who we are, it's still an indicator. It still points to who we are. If your pastor comes up here unironically dressed like someone who recently got fired from a hot topic, okay, that wouldn't make him who he is, but it would still be an indication of his decision-making and, and probably an indication that you need to find another church, right? And we know this instinctively that what we wear speaks to who we are, or at least how we're perceived. Just last weekend, I was down in Oceanside and I'm, and I'm at this coffee shop and I'm, I just got my coffee, I'm walking out and I walked by this girl who had, had blue hair, uh, a nose ring and a band shirt on, right? And I'm, as I'm walking by her, um, I hear her talking to her friends and she's like, you know, nothing about this screams Republican. And so I look over at her and we make eye contact and I literally like giggled out loud, like visibly giggled at her, which was really awkward. But, but honestly, without, without any judgment at all, she was right. Like when I think Republican, I don't think like, you know, late teenager, blue hair, nose ring, band shirt. Oh yeah, Republican, right? None of us do. And, and she knew that, like, while what she was wearing didn't make her Republican or not, what she was wearing certainly communicated something about her, even if it, she knew that it was inconsistent with her political identity. And so that's why Paul can use this kind of language. When he calls us to take off certain character traits and put on others, it's not because they define who we are in Christ. Our identity is rooted in Jesus's work on the cross alone, not ours. Just like what Haley was saying, like, I, ho I hope that has been made abundantly clear in today's service. But instead, because our character is an indicator, it points to the reality of who we are in Christ. Well, let me put it this way. In our family, we have this saying where we say that everything you do either underlines or crosses out everything you say. Okay, everything you do either underlines or crosses out every single thing you say. What we mean by that is like our actions will either reinforce and prove our words to be true or serve as a witness against us and what we've said. Like, let's say, for example, if I tell you, you know what, man, I am so good at basketball. Woo, I know, just looking at me, you could probably already tell. Um, and so after the service, we're gonna take down the hoops. We're gonna bring out the balls. And um, I tell you, I'm really good at basketball. And so we're playing and I'm like snatching ankles, putting up threes. We're having a good time. I'm like, oh my gosh, why isn't he in the NBA? Whatever, right? If that were the case, that would be underlining the reality that, all right, this guy's actually pretty good at basketball, right? But on the other hand, if I say, hey guys, I'm a baller, right? Like I just so good at basketball. And then you toss me a ball and I start throwing up enough bricks to build a house. Then my actions are crossing out my words. My actions are proving that, 
that I've either got an inflated view of myself or I'm just a liar, right? And I know this is an imperfect analogy, but even still, what do our words and actions communicate about the faith we profess? At least for a moment, forget about what the statistics say about American Christians, just that blanket term. Forget about that for a second. What about you? What about us? What about Ignite City Church? Does your, does our sexual ethic and communication habits highlight or deny, underline or cross out the reality of our identity in Christ and the Holy Spirit dwelling within us? And so finally, if these are the things that we were to take off, if this is the outfit we're supposed to get rid of and, and throw to goodwill or whatever, then what are we supposed to put on? Paul continues in saying, put on then as God's chosen ones. This is our identity as God's chosen ones. We are holy and beloved. And so this is what we're to put on. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. We're supposed to bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving one another. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so here we go. Okay, remember, I don't want you to read this and, and, and go through it as just like a list of do's in contrast to the, uh, some other kind of list that we've already mentioned of do nots, right? That's not what we're going for here. To do that would be to miss the forest for the trees. Instead, zoom out. Remember, this whole thing hinges on the therefore in verse five. In verse five. So all of this, the, the putting to death of unhelpful practices, the putting away of inappropriate speech, and now the putting on of each of these characteristics, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forbearance, forgiveness, love, all of this is about becoming who we are as those who have been raised with Christ. If we as the church are gonna fully live out our true identity as the redeemed community of God, it will mean that you and I personally more fully live out our true identity as those who have been raised from death to life. It will mean that the gospel will have to become all the more evident, not just in what we cognitively ascribe to or, or what we say we believe, but in all the ways the gospel plays itself out in our daily lives. Like it's not enough to simply avoid living like the world. We must also bear witness to the goodness of the gospel and live lives that are a reflection of God's kingdom. As the church, we are, we are called to be a people who as individuals and families and friend groups and house churches and D groups, as in all these things, we are called to reflect and implement the ways and teachings of Jesus. We are called to be a, 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 a people among whom the forgiveness of God abounds and love is the defining motive in everything we do. We are called to be a people among whom God's word isn't just preached, but also practiced, who think about the character and provision and love of God and are led to, to, to a place of gratitude that is poured out in our singing and our speaking and our giving and literally every single aspect of our lives. And church, hear me, the world is longing for us to be this. The world may not even realize it, but they are desperate 
for the church to be who we've been saved to be and do what we've been called to do all along. Like the world is desperate for us to submit ourselves to the word of God and live under its authority rather than our own. Our communities are desperate for, for us to live as a community, as a counterculture whose lives are, are, are filled with love and joy and purpose where, where, where we put to death the things that are earthly in us, where we, we, we live in such a way that we put away the things that cause division and disunity instead live in such a way that Christ is made much of in and through who we are and in everything we do. The implications for this passage being lived out in our lives doesn't stop with us. It's not just about, you know, us becoming more holy. It's about our world, seeing our witness and seeing our God for who he is through us. You see, speaking of this passage, Paul David Tripp says it this way. He says, Paul's view of change involves process as well as content, the manner as well as the message. It involves teaching with our lives as well as with our words. God changes people not simply because we have spoken the truth to them, but because, those, but because those words were said with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and love. When we do this, we become the physical evidence of the truths we present. We are not only incarnating truth, but Christ himself. So what about us? What kind of fruit will the trees of our lives, of this church, produce? What are, we, are, are we willing to do what we are called to do in hopes of becoming who we already are? Willing to, to put to death our sexual sin rather, or, or willing to, to use our mouths to speak life rather than death? We, willing to live our lives in the name of, in, reflect, in reflection of, as ambassadors for Christ? Are we, are you willing to be who you already are? My hope and it has been my prayer that your answer to these questions would be a resounding yes. That as you sit in your seat, you're like, yes, absolutely. That's exactly who I want to be. It's who I am. It's also who I want to be. And yet you might be sitting there thinking like, like look, Chris, this is, this is my desire. Like I'm not only willing, like I, I, I long for this, but I don't know how. Like, how do I put sin to death? How do I walk in newness of life? Well, it doesn't come down to just mere willpower. Sometimes I think we, we think that it's all on us as if we just need to do better or try harder or like not suck or whatever. That's not it. Ultimately, it comes down to repentance, genuine biblical repentance. And when I say repentance, I don't mean apologizing. Again, sometimes I think we get those things mixed up. Like we just say sorry and that's repentance. Like an apology is a great starting place, but an insufficient finish line. Instead, the, the escape from sin is found in, in, in repentance. It's in, found in confessing your sin to God and to one another and, and then working in stride with the Holy Spirit as well as with others in whom the Holy Spirit also dwells in order to put a greater distance between who you currently are and who you once were each and every day. 
And even in me saying this, like we, we know that there's this, there's this tension in who, in who these two people are because although our, our truest identity, as has been said, like is in Christ. And even though our, our sin already has been removed from us, as, as far as the East is from the West, our experience on this earth is still marred by the impact of the fall. And so our struggle against sin is still exactly that, a struggle. But that's not to say that we should just remain complacent in our sin, knowing that like, you know, even though our, our sin's been forgiven and, you know, we might struggle in this moment, but we're, we're safe for eternity, right? We got our get out of hell free card, so we're good. Paul says again in Romans, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. And so let's commit ourselves to daily genuine biblical repentance, to confessing our sins to God and to one another. And then not only that, but, but praying for one another that we may be healed, striving together in unity and community, striving to more fully live into our truest identity while recognizing we have been raised with Christ individually and corporately. And so I plead with you, don't just commit yourself to repentance, but commit, commit yourself to this community as well to the person to your right and to your left. And, and when I say these things, like, like, like please hear me. I, I'm not asking you for great, like better church attendance. Like I'm not asking you to commit in, in a half-hearted, show up on Sunday, do some Christian karaoke and just go home kind of way. I'm asking you to commit yourself to those around you in an honest and real and raw and biblical way where people know your stuff and you know theirs. And it's not just for the sake of gossip or for the sake of knowledge or feeling good or sorry for yourself or whatever. It's for the sake of you working with and praying for one another through all of it. Like this type of community where we, we love each other well enough to, to tell each other like, hey, you reflect Christ so well in these areas. But you also could improve in these areas as well the type of community where we, we hold each other accountable and we have the joy of seeing the type of growth that is so foreign to most Christians beyond their first couple years of faith. Because here's the thing, the world does not need more Christians whose habits, words, actions, and lives are indistinguishable from those who don't believe. We've got plenty of those. What the world needs is for the bride of Christ to rise up and become who we already are. So let's put to death what is earthly in us. Okay, let's put away harmful practices with our speech. Again, not just for the sake of not sinning, but for the sake of our witness, for the sake of our community, for the sake of our world. Let's be who we already are. Okay, putting on, like let's, let's put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, meekness, humility, and patience, bearing one another. And, and, and if someone has a complaint against one another, hey, let's forgive one another. Just as Christ Jesus, our Lord, has forgiven us, so we should also forgive. And above all these, let's put on love, which binds us together in, every, in, in perfect harmony. Let's, let's let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, to which indeed we are called in one body. And and let's be thankful. Let's let the, the word of Christ dwell in us richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. And whatever we do, whatever we do in word or in deed, let's do everything, every single thing in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 
Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, I just thank you so much that you are who you are and that you love us the way you do. God, you deserve every, every breath in our lungs, every, every pulse of our heart. God, you deserve our, our entire lives. Romans 12 tells us that, that we are to offer our lives to you, our bodies to you as, as living sacrifices, as our, 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 our worship that is reasonable. God, let us do that which is reasonable and, and put to death the sexual sin in our lives. God, let us do what is reasonable and, 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 and take off and put away the, 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 the use of our mouth that doesn't reflect the evidence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And instead, let's put on the character of Christ. God, help us to be more like you, to reflect you, to represent you, to be your ambassadors in this world that so desperately needs to see you reflected in and through who we are as your church. God, thank you that you love us, even in the midst of our, our failings, even in the midst of our, um, our inability to perfectly live this out, God, you perfectly did and you died in our place for our sin and so that we, in order that we would become more like you and, and be with you for all of eternity. And so God, I pray that, that through these words, through your word, you draw us to yourself, make us more like practically who we already are in your eyes. God, we love you. We thank you for who you are and all that you've done. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.